Like if you think about a real estate agent, for example, that's not e-commerce, but if you think about how infrequently someone does a real estate transaction, maybe every five to 10 years, how do you stay in touch with your people in between those purchase periods? How do you provide value, stay in their flow? And that's another way that email can be so valuable. It's just like maintaining a presence in someone's life so that when they are ready to buy, you're top of mind. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey Tribe, if you've been wondering whether or not it's still worth your time to sending emails every week in your email newsletter, you're going to love this episode. I talk with Erica Salm Wrench. She is the COO of Rasa.io, and they are an integrative email platform that uses AI to customize and personalize your emails for each person on your email list. It's absolutely brilliant. I could think of a gajillion different ways to use this. And I hope that you're going to really enjoy our conversation about why email is important, AI in general, some of the things that are changing. But we also touch on women in tech and trying to find that good old flow of, I'm not going to say balance because there is no balance, but finding the flow between work and being a working mom and what would that what that experience was like for both of us. So let's dive in. And as always, I hope you get a ton out of this. And if you do, don't forget to share it with your friends because that's how we get found and we can help more entrepreneurs just like you. Hey, Erica, welcome to the Tribe of Leaders. I have been waiting all day to talk to you about your company, rasa.io, email marketing, AI, and all things kind of tech, because I feel like there's so much going on with AI in general. And I've like, sometimes this was video because like, I only know this tiny little bit. And (laughs) I'm really excited about just hearing your story and and sharing your wisdom. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah. So share with everybody a little bit about who you are, um, your company, and the magic that you make. Absolutely. Yeah. So I started my career in strategic recruitment and marketing in Tulane's undergraduate admission office way back in the day, early 2000s, when email marketing tools were just becoming really special and allowing you to leverage automation to do things faster and smarter was when MailChimp was, you know, just becoming Mm -hmm. a thing. 
and we were the office that was experimenting with all the cool tech tools. And so I found that I was really passionate about those sorts of things. So that led me to my to my next role after I graduated with my MBA from Tulane. I went on to run a team at the largest digital marketing company in the Gulf South, and we did an entire suite of services online. So web dev, social media optimization, social media marketing, SEO, paid online ads, and all of the most popular platforms. Um, but the one thing that we we weren't able to scale very well, and so that we didn't really dive into very deeply was email because email is so hard to do in a really quality way and at scale. And that's what intrigued me about Rasa.io is the fact that we use AI, artificial intelligence to make emails better. And we personalize an email newsletter for each and every recipient. And in that way, you provide value to your audience as opposed to every time you email asking them for something. Mm -hmm. You provide them value with personalized content. And this is where I'm really curious because like my list is kind of segmented, mm -hmm. but I'm sure it could be better. How do you personalize email without writing six gajillion different emails? That's a great question. So we work with our clients or in some cases, our clients just work in the platform without, you know, talking to necessarily a customer success person on our team, but we help a lot of our large enterprise clients develop a pool of content from the AI to draw from. So you identify sources and relevant news that would be of interest to your subscribers. So um, in your case, you know, leadership, women empowerment, things that your learner, your listeners, people that want to learn from you are interested in. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a little bit of the pressure off of you as a content creator because you can send them valuable content, maybe with a note from you to everyone. And then the rest of the content in the newsletter is a personalized compilation of articles for them based on what we know about them as a reader. Oh my God. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Oh my God. <laughs> I would simplify everything because from, even from a sales pipeline standpoint, right? Like there's, things that I want to be able to send to leads that it's easy to miss because it's like, oh, then I've got to put in, like do all this work essentially instead of like potentially tagging them. Yeah. And then a sales article like, oh, hey, this might be helpful for you based on right. our conversation. Right. Instead, you can nurture them and provide value to them and stay a constant presence in their inbox without a heavy lift. Yeah. And have it feel more personalized. Yeah, absolutely. And why is that important today? Like, why is everything moving to being more customized and personalized outside of because we can? I think it's because you can, and also because people know it's possible. I think we've all had that really negative experience with a brand, right? That does a horrible job of personalizing. Mm -hmm. I, this is more of like an e-commerce example, but like every single person over the past couple of years, I was, you know, getting sick of being in my house and you know, I bought some new furniture for my kid's room and from big furniture company who shall remain nameless. And after I purchased it, I realized it was on back order for like three months. And throughout that three months, they kept sending me emails telling me to buy the, the pieces of furniture that I had already purchased. 
Right, it was right. so frustrating because they already had my money <laughs> and they were the ones who were taking, you know, being on this three month delay. And I thought to myself, this is, this is an example of bad personalization. And so we all remember that experience of when it's not done well. So I think that, I mean, people just know in this day and age that it's possible and it's powerful and, you know, we're, it's the age of wanting something instantaneously and instant gratification and you want what is relevant to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it makes a difference in building those relationships too. Of course. Of course. Yes. That is, that is the more important piece of it is that your customers and prospects and people in your ecosystem and your database want to feel valued. Yeah. And even in your situation with, with the furniture, like that has forever changed your outlook and your relationship with that store. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll probably think twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or it'll be like, fine. Cause this is just you know easier because it matches the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Even though I don't really want to put my money here and invest in me in this thing again, but right. Cause they don't need me. I need them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you see changing like even more with email? Because a lot of people are like, Oh, email's dead, but it's not like you own your list. Oh, it's so not. I'm glad you asked that. I, everyone thinks of email as the dinosaur, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that even with deliverability considerations these days, just the the additional challenges that go into getting into someone's primary inbox and their Gmail or their Outlook or their Yahoo or what have you, even with those considerations and how much harder it is to get into someone's primary inbox, it is still so much more likely that someone is going to see an email from your brand and transact as a result of that email than it is that they're going to transact as a result of an online ad or a social post if you're not paying to promote it. So email is still effective and it's still an important uh, aspect of your marketing outreach to consider. Yeah, I think it's really, it's just a great place to have everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's a great bucket because social can go away mm -hmm. and at any moment and right. you've got your content with your data, with your people that you can right. still, you can still connect with them. And then adding the personalization is, um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that's not to say social is bad. I will be the first to advocate for having a refreshed social feed on whatever platforms you're on, because people still see that as your web real estate, right? You, you should almost think of it as another website, your Facebook page, even though you're organic posts are going to get like one like, unless you're, you know, like some major brand, right? It's still important to maintain consistency on those platforms. So people think you're fresh and you're new and you're up to date and you're maintaining those, those different pieces of online real estate. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And I spend time on social. It's a great place to start cultivating relationships. Yeah. I just, I like, I like email. I know it's, I, yeah, we, we, very, we believe very deeply in the power <laughs> and it's just, it's for, for e-commerce brands, um, for really, I mean, everyone needs a newsletter, but especially for folks who, whose product is such that you're only going to transact with the brand every once in a while. Like if you think about 
a real estate agent, for example, that's not e-commerce, but if you think about how infrequently someone does a real estate transaction, maybe every five to 10 years, how do you stay in touch with your people in between those purchase periods? How do you provide value, stay in their flow? And that's another way that email can be so valuable. It's just like maintaining a presence in someone's life so that when they are ready to buy, you're top of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Would you mind, I want to shift gears a little bit like, yeah. and talk about just your your career and some of the challenges that you've faced as you've been in business and, and how you've overcome them? Yeah, just from the perspective of being, you know, a female in tech, it is not a female-dominated industry. The the office that I came from at Tulane University or the really the industry, the admission, the college admission world was, is very, is very female centric. And then just by pure coincidence, the online marketing company that I worked at afterwards was, um, was female led, well, husband and wife led and, and our female leader had a really strong presence was very, um, very family focused. And so that was wonderful. It was wonderful to be in that environment. And then at Rasa.io, it was my first foray into being in an office that was entirely, entirely real. I was the first female employee. And so I I was actually just talking to to someone about this, a, a male in the tech space. And he was saying, it's not, I think it's not that we're trying to, you know, stifle women's ambitions and like, you know, be be hard on females, but it's almost like they don't, they don't think about issues that are important to females and ways to make, to help females thrive in the workplace. Like having a pumping room, for example, you know, having accommodating, um, you know, maternal needs. And so all of those things were things that I made sure to set in place, you know, throughout my time at Rasa.io. Now we have at least 50% female employees. But being that being that first female is a little tricky, and you yeah. have to sort of set a precedent for future female folks that come on the team. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think there's still fewer women in tech than than guys. Absolutely, in okay. general. So mm-hmm. kudos to you that you're at fifty percent women. So that kind of creates a little bit more of an energy balance. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Head. <laughs> but yeah, the guys aren't thinking about like if you don't have that. You don't have the thing. Yeah, you don't have the perspective. It's not, it's not like in most cases, I think people are really well intentioned, but people are really me-centric. And so if you don't, if you don't have that perspective, you're not going to be thinking about the pumping room. You know, it's just not going to be at the top of your list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And since guys don't have to do that or worry about that. Right, right, right. <laughs> to my knowledge, no. <laughs> Maybe there's one, but (laughs) and where do you see the industry going? Like I, I I personally have been meeting more women in tech, which I think is fantastic um, because not how my brain works. So I want to encourage, you know, as many, as many women to really take on that industry um, as possible, but where do you, where do you see changes and shifts and what's been yeah, I feel like where the um, the imbalances really are are still like in the world of programming, right? Like I think customer success 
is pretty thin, is at least 50%, I'd say. Maybe, maybe product management, it's not quite as imbalanced. But when you come to like the, the engineers, the coders, the people writing the software, that's still quite imbalanced. And I hope I'm not, you know, a great oracle in this way by any means, but what I do see is that there are more classes geared toward female and aspiring female engineers. And even in my kids' schools, I feel like there's more STEM like motivation for the for the young girls. You know, it, it feels like it's a conversation and something that's being thought of now more so than it had been in the past. Um, so I'm hopeful. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't know for sure if it will be balanced anytime soon, but I, but I hope so. For somebody, for a young woman, well, for any woman who was thinking about getting into the tech world and particularly in the engineering, coding, more, the more technical aspects, yeah. what would you say to them? I would say that learning code early on would be so incredibly valuable. I wish I had those skills. I mean, I can like edit HTML in the most elementary way and I get things in a very, from a very high level perspective, you know, when we, when I talk to our engineers, mm -hmm. but, but it would be, but man, would I, my sword be even more sharpened if I could write code and, or, you know, speak that language better than I can. Right. So I would say if you're interested in the tech world, you know, start to work on that skill set because man, could that be so cool in terms, especially for aspiring female tech entrepreneurs, how powerful would that be if you had, you know, the, the sales customer success side of it and the coding piece. I mean, it's usually one or the other, right? Like do all the things, be the triple quadruple threat. And yeah. so I'd say, think about it from all those angles. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Definitely be the quadruple threat. Yeah. It's going to be the new mantra. <laughs> <laughs> to all the things, beat everyone at all the things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I'm going to shift gears again too, because there's like, there's so many topics I want to cover with you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think we had talked about in our pre-interview was finding that balance between work and kids and leadership and, and it's challenging. Yeah. And Anybody that's listened to the podcast for a number of episodes knows that I raised my kids on my own. And there were days that I was just excited that everybody went to bed and I was still like, was able to put one foot in front of the other to go collapse into my own bed. Yeah. Um, but I can't say it was fun. <laughs> and yeah. I'm curious about your experiences, you know, as you're raising kids, as you're leading a company, and where you feel, you know, you're doing well, where you could use help, where we could all kind of come together and support each other. It's one of the conversations I've been having a lot this week is women asking for help more often. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we all, you know, get to the end of the day as working moms and think, oh, there's this I could have done better and this I could have done better. And we beat ourselves up and it's, it's so harsh, the internal dialogue and the guilt and feeling like I either did one or the other thing okay today and maybe, you know, not the mom part or not the worker part. And that's, that's so hard. We beat ourselves up and we shouldn't beat each other up. We should support each other. I think that for me, I remember it hit me so hard when I had my first child. I have three now 
And when I had my first, I remember the, the first week I went back to work after maternity leave. And I was, I like, remember this moment so vividly. I was unloading the dishwasher after I had brought home baby from daycare. I just fed him. I was unloading the dishwasher. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to like read books to bedtime. And then I have to get back online to do some more work that I didn't get to finish because I had to leave to get baby from daycare. And I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, when you're a working mom, you don't do anything but work and mom. Like, that's it. There's no like extra little time that you can do whatever hobby or like workout or run or I mean and you have to work those things in but it's really really hard I mean if you're a working mom in many cases you're either working or being a mom at any given time and so losing that any time buffer for yourself is 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 harsh and so it's so important to work that in and I could go on about this topic forever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm curious because I know this happened for me where I felt like I lost myself. Yeah. Because yeah. I was growing a business, raising two kids. Both of my kids are complete opposites and needed yeah. completely different things from me. And and as I think all moms know, there's no damn user guide to either you know, any of no, them. No, no. There's no guidebook. And you're like, I... I always think to myself, I, I care a lot and I still do things wrong. It's so hard, but yeah, I mean, and yeah, when your kids are like so different, it's like, oh, but this worked with one and this seems to not (laughs) be working with the other, but yeah, I mean, and then, and then I found to your point of, you know, feeling kind of like you lose yourself. I almost feel like I've redefined myself. Like I'm just, I'm a working mom now. That's who I am. (laughs) Yeah. What are the, some of the ways now that you are able to find maybe more flow? I'm not going to say balance because I don't, I don't think there is balance. When it works well. Yeah. yeah I think you, I mean, I'm, I live and die by my calendar. I mean, it's, it, you just have to block off time for this is, this is family time. This is when I'm going to do this. I mean, if you don't have a plan for when you're going to get stuff done, it, it just, it just doesn't work. And you have to be ruthless with your time prioritization and people are going to want your time and you have to be very, um, very cautious with how you give your time. And I, I remember it wasn't, it wasn't until I was a working mom that that like protecting my time became something that I thought about all the time. Yeah, I definitely, even now with my kids grown up, grown up and out of the house and really no longer dependent. Yeah so aware of protecting my time and there's always an ask somebody always right right and ask and a lot of times it's great stuff like sometimes it's my friends that just want to do something fun yeah yeah and finding that as i said that flow of of you know having some me time so that i can kind of recoup and and catch uh, your breath yeah yeah. And so that I'm fresh for the next day or the next several days and, and really serving. Right. Right. Sometimes you have to say no. And that's so hard. It's so challenging, especially like you said, when it's, it's friend time. So yeah. say no to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, personally love to go play all the time. So all this, Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have, we have a rule too in our house. Sunday nights are this, like are sort of sacred to us. 
not just because it's Sunday and it's traditionally a family day, but because we just feel like we need to like get the bags packed and do the little odds and ends for work and just feel like really prepared for the week. So unless someone comes to us with like a really compelling reason to do something on a Sunday night, we really try to protect those Sunday nights. Yeah, I did too. I still do. Like I generally don't go out because I, I like having that time to kind of get myself organized and ready for the next week. Right. Right. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. How how old your kids are too? So my oldest son is seven and a half. My daughter is five and the baby is 15 months. Oh, so you totally have your hands full. Totally have my hands full. Yeah. (laughs) At least the two older ones can, I'm going to say help and quotes. You can't see my air quotes, the listeners, (laughs) but I get some, I get some quote unquote help. Yeah, you do. You do. But still, sometimes it's less help and, and right, right, right. I don't, I don't know what to call it, but yes, but I think that's a great experience for the kids too. Like the build. Such a great experience. Yeah. They, they both learn that they can pick up the baby now, which is like, I guess like theoretically you can pick him up, but he's not always happy about it. And so <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been a good and bad thing. That next step in our, in our family of five journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. What do you wish was different? in finding more balance or I don't have quite the right word, but in finding a better way of working and having a family that's, that's healthy and sustainable, because I don't think we're at that point yet. So maybe one disagree with that thought, but. Yeah, I don't think we're at that point either. I feel like what has gotten a little better since COVID, you know, it's crazy how sometimes massive crisis sets us straight in some ways, but what has gotten a little better is that like, if you're not necessarily working like the eight to five window, that doesn't mean it's not going to get done, you know? So if, if you have to pop out between two to three to go to the school show or program, or if you have to like be the reader, um, you know, for, for your son's book day, I mean, all of those, all of those things, I think are now more integrated into our day because of this, there's more working from home. There's more like fluidity. Now that gets a little dangerous because then it's like, you're expected kind of to be on this electronic leash all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been a net gain. I wish it was a little bit better. Um, and then I'd say something that I, I feel like we really still do need to come so far is the, is just because like there's email, there's Slack, there are texts, and we're, we're just at the beck and call of interruptions. There's a, there are a couple of great books out there that talk about the importance of flow and blocked time to actually get something done. But I mean, the, how distracted we all are at any given time is so detrimental to our productivity. And that seems to have gotten worse. I wish that was better. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I teach is one, the time blocking two, putting everything on your calendar, like, like everything, everything and having your family calendars. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really uh, like cutting off the email and the social and the Slack and all of the stuff. One of the things I've started doing is like Saturdays, not completely off my phone, but 
generally no social, generally not checking email and like just trying to almost digitally detox because it, it is rewiring our brains. It is rewiring our brains. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm here all the time about the benefits of meditation, but I'm almost like, am I wired now to effectively respond to all of these distractions? Do I want to change that? It's crazy that I'm even considering that meditation might be not the best for our, for my, the, my responsiveness. How crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried meditating or, or I need to, I know I need to, do you, do you meditate? I go through periods where I do. Um, I'm not currently right this, like in the last several days, I do spend a lot of time quietly. So even if it's not like in a true meditation, Uh um, I do try to like sit outside and just be quiet. Yeah. That's that's so important. I try to do stretching and some core stuff outside too. And I think that's, that's helped. And I turn off the podcasts and the, and the, the dings during that time. I don't know if I'm meditating in the traditional sense, but it's probably beneficial for my brain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, I find actually when I took a sabbatical two years ago, I took like a whole, the all of November off in 2020. And, oh, it was amazing. And it was like, I, I deleted the news apps. I deleted social off of my, my phone. And it was really cool to just hear like myself think. And yeah. there was so much more creativity that came out of that because I had the space. What else, what else were the benefits of that? I'm so curious. Well, I mean, part of why I went was because I was, I was feeling super burned out and it wasn't like a work or a personal, it wasn't the, any one thing. It was like several years of just stuff that had just happened. And yeah. So some of it was realizing too, like, I have to slow down. I like to do like big spurts of work. So one of the things I started doing was kind of doing six week sprints instead of planning a quarter. And yeah. I still, from a business perspective, plan the quarter, but I put I, in scheduled rest blocks. Yeah. Um, so that was one of them too. A couple of other things was just more towards the business, like how valuable my team is. And then just more planning and, and also really listening to myself. Like, yeah. Right, like I don't have to play the same game as everybody else. That's amazing that you could walk away and feel you must have an amazing team where you feel like you could take a step back. Everything's going to be fine and where you left it when you come back or better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's an incredible, incredible feeling. It says a lot about someone as a leader when they can step away. That means that they have put the systems and processes in place to be able to do that. So that's really, really wonderful. Well, thank you. And absolutely. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go on sabbatical tomorrow. Like we took two months to plan right, right. how everything was going to work too. But yeah. I would highly encourage anybody to take that type of time paid or unpaid, like sometimes not getting paid and having the, that quiet is it's worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. Absolutely. So, I'm curious too, circling back kind of into AI and work-life balance like how can AI, well, and the distractions, how can AI help us be less distracted? 
Yeah, so we, we're partnered with an organization called Marketing AI Institute. Mm-hmm. And they do such an amazing job of advocating for marketing tools that leverage AI for the purpose of saving time and not having to be, and that comes down to not having to be distracted by busy work. So obviously, you know, our, our tool falls right into that, right? There's a lot that, there's a lot of automation inherent in what we do, you know, pulling in the content, filtering down content, sending it out automatically. Um, and obviously there's, there's a human touch element to that to review, but, um, but there are also like awesome SEO tools out there and awesome social tools out there that leverage AI to take out some of the tedious nature of some of these marketing tasks. So it's not quite, it doesn't do the best job of answering your question, but I feel like sometimes when you have to do so many little tedious things that are almost like busy work in nature, it, it's, it can be distracting. And so AI, what it can do is, you know, if you set things well up on the front end, it can work for you and save time on the back end so that you can block off time to, you know, execute on the more creative projects that take longer. Yeah. So is it really hard to use? Like are the tools that are available now difficult to learn or is it just? No, they're not. The, so we work with um, a tool for SEO called Market Muse and Market Muse uses natural language processing to help you write your content to best optimize for a keyword and you know help you sound more authoritative and expert like on a particular topic. And it's the interface is super easy to use. And especially for people who are familiar with SEO, it's a really great way to optimize your content in a smart way without, you know, a ton of additional time. Um, Rasa.io is very straightforward. And in terms of plugging in the content, filtering it down. And once you get this like awesome pool of content drawing in from really great sources, and once you get your design set, the ongoing maintenance is super minimum. With this, we use um, a social tool called Meet Edgar, and it helps you, it uses natural language processing as well to draw out the social snippets from a blog or an article. And then it also helps you recycle content and automate, you know, repurposing of your content. So there are a lot of, I mean, it's it's almost like taking the tools that, that have existed, but then taking them a step further and helping you save time and I would encourage anyone who's really interested in this topic to check out Marketing AI Institute because their entire platform is helping marketers work smarter, not harder with AI. Very cool. So let me ask you this too, because I'm like percolating ideas here. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, With Rasa.io, is it set up the same way that like most um, other email or e-commerce newsletters um, are set up from a from an organizational standpoint like I use active campaign currently but I've used pretty much everything else over time yeah yeah so that's a really great question so we're we're an edge solution and we work alongside all the most popular CRMs so we have an integration with active campaign we have an integration okay. with Mailchimp we have an integration with Salesforce with HubSpot um, and we work with a lot of professional and trade associations. So we integrate with a lot of the systems that they use to manage their members and subscribers. And so in that way, 
you can just hook RASA up to whatever CRM you're using and we sync lists. So you don't have to worry about uploading names and CSV files and all that. You can, you certainly can. can do that. So that's, so that's one way in which we work alongside existing systems. And then in terms of what you might think of as traditional newsletter production, that's going to look a little bit different because, because the AI is going to produce a unique email for every reader, we draw in a bundle of content, again, prescribed by the sources that you plug in, but we're, we draw in this bundle of content and then the AI is going to choose who gets what stories. And again, those sources can be filtered down. They can be your own sources. You can plug in your own blog and your own Twitter handle and your own Facebook page. And then in the case of those social handles, we're going to pull in the articles that you share. So all of that, if you theoretically were to only plug in your social handles in your blog and Barasa, mm -hmm. then you could get the design set up, the content set up, and then really set it and forget it and have your newsletter just go. You can, of course, you know, put in a letter from the editor or, you know, whatever written content you want everyone to see. Um, but, but the ease of use is, is great, even though it looks a little bit different than your traditional newsletter platforms. All right. So I love it even more now. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Yeah. You should, I mean, podcast, plug in your podcast feed and push that out when you publish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not like the whole upload get everything set up part is for me a barrier like i don't want to move my right. stuff anymore so that it works in tangent with all these other different platforms right 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 exactly we so we much easier to kind of plug and play yes absolutely this is what i love about what technology is bringing us now it's all like these no code connections where you don't have to yeah. work about writing a bridge from one platform to the other. We yeah. also have a Zapier integration. Zapier connects thousands of different applications to one another. And so if we don't have your CRM, you could just use Zapier to sync yeah. contacts back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I'm like, I'm, I've got the wheels grinding again. Yeah, this, yeah. this has been the theme of the week too. <laughs> so. Erica, I've enjoyed talking with you and, and just our diversity of conversation. Yeah, yeah, I know. This has been great. I appreciate you sharing both AI and working mom uh, a status. So I love to share all that stuff. So thank you for exploring all those different areas. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, where can people connect with you? So, um, I would encourage folks, if they're interested in Rasa, go to rasa.io backslash podcast. I want to make sure I sent the right, it's rasa.io backslash podcast. Let me double check it. Yes, rasa.io backslash podcast. There's a special offer for folks. Oh, um, awesome. and then, and then if you, um, if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Erica Salmrench. And um, if you are interested in kind of dipping your toe into rasa.io and seeing if it makes sense for your business. Um, there is a, there's a two week free trial where you can kind of play around with some stuff. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being a listener of the tribe of leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement 
starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 